Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedan, founder and CEO of Devian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm your host, Christopher Dedian, and today I have Dara Rosenbaum, which she is an attorney and business advisor. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Nice to see you. Likewise, really intrigued and really uh, excited to have this great conversation about the industry of law, the business advisor, how you're going your business, and so on and so forth. But before doing so, Dara, I gave a small introduction of who you are and what you do, but do you mind unpacking that a bit more for our listeners and our viewers? Absolutely. So I've been practicing law in New York and New Jersey for a little over 20 years now. Actually, quite a bit over 20 years, I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was sort of you know, born, uh, you know, born professionally as a trial attorney. So you know, in court, cases, motions, litigation. Uh, appeals, all that kind of stuff, and sort of made the, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's made the switch, but sort of it added a, trans, a transactional law practice because I'm a business owner myself. I'm a half owner of this law firm. And I, I just felt like there was a real need for, you know, people who could help business lawyers, business um, businesses, business owners, business leaders, other professionals who could kind of be there with the legal hat on, but sort of look and looking through things through that legal lens without necessarily being, you know, being the person, you know, having to have a court case or something. It just as, as sort of a legal advisor, as a strategist, that kind of thing. So it's sort of the, the duality of, you know, sort of being a business advisor. Um, I, you know, I help companies form, I help them grow I'm sort of on call for a number of companies that I work with and a number of clients who need, you know, occasional advice, or we work together on a particular project, or they have a particular question or a growth strategy they want to talk about. So that's sort of the advisor part of the part of the equation. Okay, I love that. And we're going to unpack both of those. So before going into the business advising side, which is highly important for any entrepreneur that's growing their business to always have a phenomenal collaboration with a lawyer, because a lot of the contracts you do, you're going to want to get it validated, a lot of systems and processes you're going to put in place for your employees and for the growth of business has to be done in such a way that it protects always both parties. But before diving into that, talk to me a bit about your litigation world as a lawyer in New York City. Is it like the show Suits? What's the reality towards the fiction towards that? Talk to me a bit about that background. I've never seen Suits, so um, I can't- You've never I, seen I Suits? No, I'm sorry. I've never seen Suits. Like, I, I know, it's I okay. It on my list. I guess you live it. <laughs> I do. Um, maybe I do. I would say it's, you know, the, I do a lot of work in the courts in New York City, um, and they are very crowded. Um, this is all pre-COVID, things have changed. But pre-COVID, you know, very crowded. You could go into a courtroom where they were calling it a, a trial assignment part, for lack of a better description, where there's, you know, cases are ready and they're being sent out to trial. There could be three or 400 cases on with all the attorneys that that entails, and, you know, it's just an administrative task of trying to figure out which cases are ready, which cases are coming up first on the court calendar, what the court wants to send out. Do they have enough judges? Do they have enough jurors? 
So uh, there's a lot of congestion in New York City courts. Uh, so you know, there's a lot of work that goes on, obviously, pre- before trial. The sexy stuff, obviously, is the trials. But probably 95 to 98% of cases that are brought um, in New York, probably everywhere, uh, get settled. So most often the job of a litigator is to position the case for trial as if the case is going to be tried and get it ready so that you can have all the ammunition you need for settlement negotiations, mediation, discussions, what have you. But in the courtroom during trial, I mean, it looks a little bit like TV with a lot less yelling. Um, no, you don't, you never see real surprise witnesses. Um, you don't see, you know, overall, you don't see disrespect to the judges. You don't see the judges being disrespectful of the parties. Um, I think there's a lot more, there's a lot more structure than I think they have on TV. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, artistic license that comes into these kind of things. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Hollywood takes it and always takes and embellishes the parts that are a bit more high in emotion. So it kind of makes sense the way you're saying it, but it's good to understand that the framework of what we see on TV for somebody that doesn't know what necessarily goes on in uh, these courtrooms are similar, just minus, like we said, the the creative uh, advancements that they take within the, the TV world. Now, they make my they make my job look a lot more interesting than it is in that sense. Um, my job is a lot less theatrical than um, you know, but no, but, but nobody wants to watch that. So, so that jazz it up a little bit. That's exactly it, right? Because I'm guessing like 85% of the job is reading and writing and just being in your nook and cranny and being at the court is a very small amount of time. And like you said, like you mentioned, about 80 some percent of all uh, lawsuits get the done before or get uh, uh, revised before, even before going to court, because it's just a winning situation for every single party in that regard. It's actually, it's actually about 95%. It's, it's 95. It's high, it's oh, wow. High 90s, yeah. And why do you think that is? Is it because it costs too much money? Is, is it because you guys are just so good at what you do that you guys find a common ground even before hitting the courtroom? What's the, why is that the case? Getting to trial takes a long time and trying a case is expensive and time consuming. And often the trial is not the, I mean, in criminal, it's different, but in civil cases, often the trial is not the end of the case. There are often appeals. Um, There may be hearings. There may be, you know, other things that have to get done. The trial is not the be all end all in civil cases. So I think that often my clients and almost everybody else's clients would prefer to negotiate a settlement come up with an agreed upon settlement rather than leaving it in the hands of a jury. Cause now you've got six people you've never met who you don't really know anything about who only know what they've seen about you in the courtroom, deciding your fate in this, in this particular case, it, it there's an uncertainty there. Um, and I have long since stopped trying to predict jurors because, you know, when you see them in the courtroom, you may think they're leaning one way. You may think they have a particular opinion and I'm looking at it through my own lens, obviously. And, you know, sometimes you get to be wrong. So I think that that's why a lot of cases settle is because, yes, I think we're all good at our jobs trying to negotiate things and get to a reasonable resolution. But I think it's also sort of the inherent risks and costs and time that is just sort of necessarily involved in having a case tried. So I think that was very well explained. Thank you for that. Because like you said, the main thing is, first of all, you guys are good at what you do. So you guys do find a common ground with both parties. And if that's not the case, you guys try as much as possible not to kind of roll the dice, like you said, with jurors, because that could kind of swing any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And you being essentially, you know, one side of the the coin of an attorney, you really do see it one sided as much as 
you can. So you kind of do see one perception towards somebody else might have a different perception. So it is, it is interesting to see it in that regards. And Dora, I'll say that just on, on that point, I think that it's, you know, I consider my job to kind of see both sides. So that I advocate certainly for my client and I, you know, I, I fight hard for my clients, but I also have to understand the other side's position because I have to know what my weaknesses are. So and I, I have to know how they're viewing the case so that I can advise my client, like, listen, you know, yeah, we're going to fight like heck, but you got some vulnerabilities here. So I have to kind of understand, you know, how my client views the case, how the other side views the case, how a jury is likely to view the case issues that might go up on appeal. So there's a lot of factors that kind of go into the strategy and you really do want to have kind of all those perspectives. Okay. So I love that. And let's just unpack that for a second, because the way that I I presented it is that obviously you have one side and that's the side that you're kind of leaning on more. And as a great lawyer or anybody that's negotiating, you have to have that perception of and perspective of what every single party is seeing. So you could counter um, you know, uh, attack or counter mention, whatever the case is. But even at that, even though you are uh, looking at all the perceptions or all the a- angles, because you are on one side, does it ever happen that you are missing some blind spots of like, oh, I didn't think about this because you're not so in depth on that side, but you're more on your side? Does that happen? Or you're really good within the years that now you're able to hit all the angles in that regards? I mean, I've been doing this a long time, so I, I think I am very good at that. But I think a lot of it comes down to asking all the right questions. So the client has a lot of information because they've lived this situation, whatever the situation is, whether it's a business dispute with partners, a business, you know, a shareholder dispute, um, an issue about dissolving a company, an issue with a vendor or a client or a customer or a partner. There's all sorts of issues, but the client has lived it. Yeah. So it's my job to extract all that information so that I have the information. And I want, and I tell them, listen, I want the good, bad, and the ugly. I want to know what, you know, I want to see all the emails because I want to know what you said in an email that maybe you don't want to admit to having said. I want to know what the other side has because there's no, there's no help in make, in keeping me in the dark. Mm-hmm. So I, I ask a lot of questions of the client. I make sure that I get a lot of information and do a lot of my own investigation, depending on the case and what kind of, you know, what kind of work that needs to be done. And I also talk to the other side because like I said, mo- most cases are going to get settled. So it's like, listen, you know, and I'm totally never going to reveal my strategy to the other side, but to the extent that they're going to get the information anyway, sometimes it's better to like, listen, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give you the, you know, you're going to need the emails. Here they are. You're going to need this here. Here it is. And I get the same thing from the other side. And this way I know like, okay, here's where they think the strength is. Here's what they're planning to use against you. So it's a lot of me understanding the business well enough and having a relationship that fosters that communication where they can, you know, freely tell me the things they maybe shouldn't have done or things that, you know, they would have done differently or, you know, or the places where they think, and I'll ask them, how did any, what are they going to say? When you say this, what are they going to say? And it gives me a good perspective in terms of, you know, the people on the ground who've actually handled it. I love that. So yeah, you, you definitely know yourself when it comes to human behavior to really get the information that you need. So you could have all the cards on table, you know, do your uh, structure accordingly and so on and so forth. Yeah, so, so I have one last question in the lawyer side before going into the business advising side. Sure. And for our listeners, they know that I am uh, dyslexic and I was diagnosed at eight years old and I was blessed to go in a specialized school and become really good and succeed in what I was doing. And at the end of my high school year, when I looked at what career I wanted to go into and kind of study a higher education, lawyer came about for me because I'm like, hey, I like wearing nice suits, even though I'm not wearing a suit today, it's a warm day, but I like wearing nice suits. I like having conversations. I'm like, yeah, this seems like a good thing. And as I uh, researched a bit more in regards to uh, the whole uh, aspect of being a lawyer, 
I realized that 85% of job, if not more than that, is reading and writing. Being heavily dyslexic, I'm like, nah, let me find something that doesn't have a lot of reading and writing. So my question to you is, within the world of law and being a lawyer, what is your favorite thing about the industry? And what is the thing that you do not like as much within the industry or there's places to optimize and improve about? What I love about the industry, honestly, is helping people. I love, you know, as a business owner myself, I have all the perspective in term, and and all the angst and and concern about, you know, this is a this is a, a profession that partially supports my this this business, this firm partially supports my family. Mm-hmm. So when I'm dealing with a solopreneur, or an entrepreneur, or a small business owner, medium sized business owner, business leader, whatever. I understand where they're coming from. You know, they're not looking, they're, they don't, they didn't become lawyers. They didn't, most of them, they didn't, they don't want battle. They want results and they want resolution. So I love being able to help somebody who comes to me with either a concern well before a lawsuit or somebody who's embroiled in a lawsuit or concerned about a lawsuit to, you know, resolve things, to help them. Um, I love working on the front end of things where there's no dispute, but let's get the documents right so that you can try to prevent or at least minimize the effect of any kind of dispute. So the helping, I think, is the best part of my job because it gets me to learn people's businesses, which is always interesting. Uh, I get to deal with people and I learn a lot every day. I mean, I deal with everything from, you know, filmmakers to plumbers to graphic designers to, you know, wedding venue locations. All kind of a lot of construction. I mean, a lot of things, you know, I've dealt with all kinds of industries and being able to learn those businesses and figure out what they need and how best I can help them is the best part of my job. I love that. And what's the part within the, the law industry that you do not like, or you might even say hate in that regards? I don't hate anything, but I think that I would love to see more civility. And I think I would love to see attorneys a little more conscious of we're all here working for a client as opposed to sort of aggression for aggression's sake. Um, I think that the attorneys who approach things in sort of a more collaborative way, who approach something from a problem solving approach and a help and a helping approach do a better job for their clients and do a better service for their clients than people who want to be, you know, bloodthirsty and battling. Yeah. There is definitely a place for that, and and I'm happy to go to war. But um, for the most part, it doesn't serve my clients as well as being strategic about how to bring something to a resolution. So I would love to see fewer attorneys who are, you know, just in it because they love the fight and they and they love to fight and they love to, you know, they they love to kind of. Um, maybe, you know, get just right up to that line of what might be unethical. And they just really love to kind of push the boundaries and they try to, um, you know, take advantage of situations as opposed to being professional and courteous because it's sort of that old, you catch more flies with honey. I mean, having good relationships with potential adversaries or people on the other side of the table when negotiations always gets a better result than, going in there screaming because once you go in there screaming, you've got to take the time to get everybody calmed down, get the temperature down and then get to the real work of resolving something because nothing's going to get resolved when people are, you know, pounding on the table and throwing things at each other. I I love that you mentioned that because honestly, I I don't know about the listeners and all that, but that's the perception that a lot of people have. And I'm saying myself, I had that perception of like, Hey, do lawyers really do that? Because like you said, like Hollywood kind of brings it a certain about, and just Mm -hmm. talking about suits, what you just mentioned, a lot of things 
do happen like that in the Hollywood world. But I do know just like any industry, there's great people and there is people that aren't very good. But what you just mentioned of being that collaborative aspect and finding that counterpart within the lawyer, like, hey, let's find a solution that's going to make sense for both parties instead of just being like a shark in water and just trying to go for the blood, I think can create a better uh, approach. And I'm sure, like, I don't know the statistics, but I'm sure there's a lot more great lawyers that are more collaborative than the other way around. It's just that like in any industry, the ones that are doing it bad are the loudest, but they're a small percentage of the pool and they kind of, you know, change the ideology of the, of, uh, of potentially the, the career and so on. And and those, those ones who are, you know, or the loudest who are, they make for better television and better movies, right? (laughs) I mean, most people don't want to watch a movie about, you know, people sitting down being reasonable and coming to a resolution. (laughs) No, you definitely need a conflict. You definitely need up and down in a movie. If not, it's a boring movie or it's a boring story. 100% exactly, agree with exactly. that era. Yep. So my next question for you is, how did you get into the entrepreneur world? Uh, is it because you opened your firm? How come you have like such an approach towards that? Let's talk about that aspect and how you collaborate with your clients in regards to that. And we'll go into that aspect. So, uh, yeah, I think it was when I started my firm um, about 10 years ago. So my business partner and I have been working together now for over 20 years. And we've had our own firm for 10. So he was my boss for 10 years. And then we started this firm together, um, 50-50. So I think just, I think I got a real taste of what it means. And obviously I learned what it means to to own a business and run a business and all of these kind of um, little nuggets that you get and little, and an understanding that you have when you're talking to another business owner and somebody looks at me and says like, okay, she gets it. She knows what the pain point is. You know, she knows that, yeah, I'm having the dispute with this particular supplier, but this is my supplier and I can't lose this relationship. So she understands that it's very important to me to maintain the relationship, to not be antagonistic and poke the bear, but at the same time to be very strong and firm in our position so that we get something resolved the way I want it resolved. And I think that, you know, you don't, you never want to mistake some, you know, like a collaborative approach or a kind approach or a reasonable approach with weakness it's not weakness. It's, I think it's a strength. So what I bring to, you know, to my clients who are also business owners or business leaders or people in positions of leadership, I think I bring that perspective of, you know, listen, when I take off my lawyer hat, I'm wearing the business owner hat. And I understand this. I get that, you know, this contract is going to be difficult for you to sign because of these provisions. This is a practical reality of how this financing agreement is going to play out if you want to cancel the contract. Those types of things that I've seen in my own world, and I, I sort of I feel very deep down all of the emotions of a business owner. You know, the elation when you get a new opportunity, when the business is growing, when the business is doing well. The hey, let's kind of figure things out if things are not going the right direction, or you're developing a pain point someplace you know, hey, it might be time to merge. It might be time to purchase another business. It might be time to be sold. Maybe you want to retire. All of those things are very present in my world. So when I talk to a business owner about them, I think I can really relate. Okay. I love what you just mentioned over there. There's two things I really want to highlight for our listeners and our viewers. Mm -hmm. First and foremost is that aspect that I truly believe, because this is something I work with my top end entrepreneurs that are becoming CEOs is that once you're a business owner, there's a lot of human psychology involved. And that example that you gave of like, hey, I'm working with this person that's a vendor of mine, but there's something wrong. But at the same time, I can't just tell them X, Y, and Z because this is a vendor that I 100% need and need to continue collaboration. You need to understand how to go about to explaining certain things in eloquent ways to make 
the, the, the both parties happy. So that's one thing that's highly important when it comes to being an entrepreneur, especially taking on the role of a CEO or a partner in that regards. Another thing that you mentioned, and I think you mentioned it previously, and I think you mentioned it previously as well, the aspect of you get uh, the you get more success with honey than poison or whatever the case is. And that, this is where it's really important, doesn't show weakness. Because you did mention, you're like, hey, I'd rather do it like this. But if somebody wants to come and play and go to war, you're ready to do that as well. It's not always that loudest shouting guy that's going to be the strongest or the most intimidating. No, it really is that balance. And I feel like having that aspect of like, let's collaborate, let's find a, a common ground shows more confidence and strength as a business owner. So Dara, as you were kind of talking about this, and I do have a lot of listeners, like I said, that transition from being top-end entrepreneurs to now being CEOs and now saying, oh my God, I'm hiring two, three people. And then they're like, how do I deal with this? Business is going, time scheduling and all that stuff. What would you say or what advice would you give to those types of business owners that are starting off their business and growing it with employees what advice would you give them as an entrepreneur? And what advice would you give them if you put on your lawyer hat, like when it comes to starting the business, the contracting, the incorporation, LLCs, and all that fun stuff? I would say the advice is very similar. And obviously, I can't give legal advice um, because that's just not, not, not appropriate in this kind of forum. But I would say that the biggest things I would recommend, and it's sort of the same advice, whether I'm wearing the lawyer hat or the entrepreneurial hat, is plan and prepare. So, you know, you don't want to, people often describe, you know, being an entrepreneur or having a startup as, you know, driving, flying the plane while you're still building it. And I think there is a lot of truth to that, but I think wherever possible, you want to set up those systems and processes to make things easier. You know, you want to, as you're starting to hire people, you want to have an employee handbook. You want to have, you know, procedures. You want to have an operating agreement. If you, you know, when you have other other people and other people involved, you want a partnership agreement. If you have partners, you want to, as best you can, get everything laid out so that you don't have to think about those things often again. You know, you you know what the procedure is if we have to fire somebody. We know when we onboard somebody, this is what we're going to do. We know that, you know, this is how the decisions are going to be made. If, you know, somebody wants to pursue an opportunity, we're going to take a vote and this is what we're going to do. So I think that laying all those things out as early as possible, you know, and, and working with, you know, whether it's someone like me or, you know, some kind of consultant, you want to lay all those things out as, as best you can. The other thing is, I think, find resources and the resources are going to be professionals. They're going to be, in, you know, accountants, they're going to be attorneys, there are going to be other professionals who are relevant to your whatever your industry is because you want to have trusted people you can call. You know, people aren't only calling me when there's a lawsuit or there's a dispute or there's an issue. They're calling me saying like, "Well, listen, we're talking about you know we're talking about either going this direction or that direction with funding. What do you think?" And I'm putting on my business advisor hat and I'm talking them through my perspective on it. I don't get to make the decision for them. I don't want to. I want to give them the tools to make the decision for themselves, and I want to be a resource. And the other thing that I think people often overlook is asking for help from other people who've been there. There are so few people who are doing something that nobody's ever done in any way, shape or form before. So I think that when you ask, you know, and I was, this is something I learned a little bit later in my career and I wish I'd known earlier. People are so willing to help if you just ask. Yeah. And I think you also need to, the other flip side of it obviously is you need to be generous when you can. So when you can help somebody else out, you know, do that. I think it's, it cultivates a relationship where you can count on somebody to answer a question for you or give you advice on something. 
you know, if you, whether it's networking or it's a college alumni association or a local community organization, whether it's a religious organization, um, some type of, you know, some type of volunteer organization, find those people who have done it before and ask what they did, you know, and, it, and it's as easy as, hey, I need a payroll company. You have a payroll company you like? Like, oh, don't use this one. I had a problem with this one. I use this one instead. Great. You know, hey, how did you guys handle it when you had to do X, Y, and Z? Oh, let me send you the form I used. And people are very generous and willing to help, but nobody's going to knock on your door and say, hey, I think you might need help with this. So, you know, find those mentors who are willing to work with you. Find those resources and people you can model parts of your business after. Take from them what you like. Reject what you don't like. But, you know, don't feel like you've got to just close your door, be in a room by all by yourself and do it all alone. Dara, I love what you just mentioned. I want to highlight a couple of things so really people could, could get them because you got really some great spot on. So first and foremost, you mentioned putting systems and processes in place when it comes to hiring. So you have that process so they know what the mission is, they know what the vision is, and you know it as well as an entrepreneur. Second thing as well you mentioned is having a great team around you in regards to, like you said, a lawyer, an accountant, and so on and so forth, but not only having them with issues. I love that aspect that you mentioned, but use utilizing them when you're going to do certain decisions. And I do that all the time with my financing, my accounting team, every single time before I do a big purchase for the business, I'm like, Hey, does this make sense? Are we financially? Can we cover this? Yes. Y and Z. Like these are a conversation that you should have as an entrepreneur, especially if you're a growing entrepreneur. And the last point, which you mentioned, which I truly love. And it's something that I like stand by so much is actually two things. Let me break it down. First and foremost, nothing you're creating hasn't already been created. So there's somebody out there that has done it, that has walked the walk, that has some experience and you can get their knowledge and you can learn from them, which is highly, highly important when it comes to either from coaching mentors or so on and so forth. And then the last part was the philanthropy side of things. Always give back. I truly believe that as an entrepreneur, as a human being, you have to give back. We're blessed to be in positions we are. So the more you give, the more it comes back to you, but don't give thinking that it's going to come back. Just give to give and the universe kind of finds a way to help you out at, at the end as well. So I really appreciate that, Daria. Definitely shows that you know yourself, not only in law, but as an entrepreneur as well. And with that, my I have two last questions because I do want to be respectful for time over here, but I have two last questions that I think is going to be really fun here. Okay. So it's very obvious that you're successful with 20 years practice law, if not more than that, 10 years and more having your own law firm and just you know doing all this great stuff. And we learn a lot about people's successes, like you mentioned, but we also learn from people's failures, right? From people's mistakes, which is why you mentioned go get mentors and so on. So my question to you is, what are you currently dealing with that is maybe difficult for you or you're having a hard time with within your business? First of all, mention it and tell us what you're going to do specifically to solve that problem. Because there's a lot we can learn from your thought process and that mistake or that difficulty in itself. I'll reach back in time a little bit because I think that's something, that's something from my past that I think will really it will really help your listeners and viewers. When we started the company, there were, you know, we obviously had a certain, first of all, we got a PEO, we got a professional employment organization that helped us with, you know, HR, payroll, health insurance. That was, that was a gift to us that we really, we really enjoyed. But once we started doing those things on our own, um, I didn't do enough research and didn't ask enough questions of other people who'd been there to know what features, if I'm going to get a document management system, if I'm going to get a phone system, if I'm going to hire this particular professional, what questions should I be asking? You know, what features am I going to need? What features am I not going to need? I definitely got in, you know, sort of that shiny ball syndrome where it was like, oh, this person came in and the sales pitch was great. And it sounds like something that we could really use. 
what I should have done and what I've done since then is, okay, if I've decided that I need a system that does this or a service provider that does this, it doesn't have to be the one I just talked to. It can be another one that I, that I research on my own. It can be someone somebody else recommends to me. I was a little too, uh, much too quick, much too quick to jump at, hey, this solution sounds great. I really like what they're saying. This sounds perfect to me. You know, I wasn't asking for a test run. I wasn't asking for as long a demo as I needed. I wasn't thinking through how we would use the system and what features we would need. This happened to be a document management system. You know, what features do we want? What features don't we want? What access do we want certain members of the firm and certain staff to have? And what access do we not want them to have? It didn't have the features that I wanted and that I needed. And it ultimately was just a failure for us and ended up being a very expensive lesson. So I think that, you know, one of the things I wasn't doing was vetting those things properly and really, you know, taking the time and slowing myself down to research. And I think that, you know, educating yourself about what it is you need to, what are you trying to accomplish? What do you, you know, what are you trying to get? And then, you know, how do you get there? What kind of services are there? What kind of things do you want to do in-house, outside? You really have to spend time on that process because otherwise you can make some pretty expensive mistakes. That that makes sense. I'm glad that you kind of mentioned that because a lot of young entrepreneurs have that aspect of, hey, let's just go this first prince in front of me. I need it. And they don't necessarily do the research to see, is this actually a right fit? Or like you said, even if it is potentially something that you like and did a great, let's call it a sales pitch, but allow yourself to test it out first. So have that aspect and to be comfortable to ask that. So definitely could uh, you could learn a lot from uh, from that mistake in itself that you just mentioned. So thank you for sharing that. And Dario, my last question for you is, as everybody's listening and really like, you know, loving everything you're saying, what's the best way to get in touch with you, to contact you if they're potentially in the greater region of New York City, uh, if they have anything that they want to kind of get done with your law firm, what's the best way to connect with you? I'm on LinkedIn all the time. So just Dara Rosenbaum on LinkedIn. Um, and our website for the firm is rosenbaumtaylor.com. Um, and I would say that one of the things I love doing as a, as a person, as a professional is connecting people. So I like meeting people who, you know, may not be in my area, but, or may not be in my industry, or maybe could not even, you know, could never use me as a professional because it isn't what they need, but I can connect them with other people. So I may kind of, you know, kind of sort of that matching game of like, oh, wait a second, this guy's doing something interesting. I probably can introduce him to so-and-so who's hiring, or, you know, this person is looking for this particular type of service. I can recommend somebody they can speak to about that particular service. So I I like being a connector in that way. Um, It's not salesy. It's just, to me, it's just, it's good business and it's good kind of personship, if that's a word. Yeah. It's good relationship. And you know what? That's a good word. (laughs) What I've realized in business more than anything, it's a game of relationships. The more people, you know, the more people, you know, that knows you, the, the right people that you know, and you're able to connect, the more opportunities come about. And then once you have those opportunities, do you have the talent to hit the ball out of the ballpark when it comes that you have that? So I love that aspect. I love the fact that you're a connector. So Daria, thank you very much for being on the show. Great insight. I love the fact that we got a little sneak peek in what happens in the world of uh, the uh, law and attorneys and so on and so forth. So I hope you have a blessed day. You too. Thank you so much. Christopher Dedian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. 
if you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program and don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didia. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.